Good afternoon, LDG. Happy Passover. It might have been a little bit of a choppier opening here, but I'm Chris Schutzer. Uh, I'm uh, one of your podcast hosts. I'm joined, as always, by uh, our commissioner, um, Matt Starr. Matt, say hi to everybody. Hey, everyone. Hey, Chris. Yeah, we also currently have Sean Crean. Sean, you want to say hi? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Happy Pesach, whatever you want to say. And we've also got, um, we've also got Becker joining us soon, but he's not here at the moment. We have a special guest. We made no secret of this special guest because uh, we've been talking over email. So you know, returning to the podcast, the podcast founder himself and co-commissioner, we have Ian Amelkin. Ian, how are you doing? I'm well, good to be here. Excited to uh, take part in this new and improved format. It is fun, uh, but you know, all kudos to you for starting this. I mean, how did you even come up with this idea? I don't know. I spend far too much time thinking about LDB and <laughs> I thought it would be a cool. Uh, uh, actually, I originally started it where I was going to try to do like get to know an owner where I was going to interview all like 16 of you and get to know you better. But it kind of all fell apart on me. Things happened in life that I'm sure uh, made things a, little, a bit challenging for you, including having a child. Um, so you have a daughter now. How old is she? She's eight months. Yeah, and how are you holding up with that? I'm doing well. I wish that she would drop her 4.30 a.m. feeding because I do that one, and I just would love it if she just slept till the morning. But other than that, you know, it's, it's a real it's joy. It's a real joy. See, Ian, you got to think of that as the waiver wire advantage. So you're <laughs> up before everyone else. I've yeah, gone to bed. Yeah. Paul's gone to bed. Ryan's gone, gone to bed, hopefully. And, and you've got that first claim. Yeah, yeah. Are you guys hearing feedback? We are getting, we are getting one of you. Uh, not quite, quite sure which one of you it is, um, but we'll we'll figure that piece of it out. It might have been it might have been Sean. We're gonna call him out on on live camera. It might have been Sean's camera. Uh, but you know what? That's what you get when we when we have a budget uh, podcast and and we're having a good time with it. Um, Ian, we we just cannot be uh, more psyched to have you on. Um, I know we've got a lot of things planned for you, um, including you're going to be downwind with the, with the wind in a couple minutes. Uh, I think Sean, you. yeah, I know, right? Uh, Sean's going to interview you on your uh, process of coming up with the power rankings and a bunch of other questions if he so fit uh, feels up to it. Um, but I want to start with a commissioner off. All right. So this is going to be who knows the league better. Um, I am going to invite Sean to play. This is these questions are going to be really hard i'm like there's absolutely like no easy questions coming we're going to start with some roster-based questions um there will be 16 questions and i'm going to alternate back and forth and we're going to have an honor code with whoever names first the other one can say i had a different answer or i had the same answer and i'm going to ask you guys to score for yourselves all right um so, are, so it's not a it's not a buzz in i i wait my turn yeah everybody has an opportunity to get to get each question right so the, a perfect score would be 16 out of 16 but they are rapid fire questions we're going to start with roster construction questions um and uh i have given nobody any warning that this was coming um so there there really was no preparation here we're going to start with some easy ones all right matt you you are uh you're the, you're the resident here, so you're going to get the first uh, answer on the first one. I would like for you to tell me 
on whose roster is Max Freed? Uh, Ryan Hughes, the cornballers. All right. Ian, does he have that correct? Of course. He does. Okay. We're, we're starting easy, guys. I'm <laughs> giving, you, giving you a little warm-up, all right? So uh, now do I get a point for that because I knew it? Yeah, you're going to get a point as well, all right? But, right? but I will say if it's your turn to, to, to say it first, give it a two-second beat so that people can think before you respond, all right? Uh, similarly, pretty easy, but not super easy. Um, Ian, can you tell me which roster Josh Jung is on? I don't know if I'm saying his name. Um, that's on Jeff Peterson's roster. Oh, sorry. That wasn't enough time. It's fine. It's fine. Do we all agree on that? Yes, that's correct. All right. That's two points for everybody. We're going to get a little harder here. All right. Um, so you know what, Sean, this one's for you. Uh, we're going to, we're going to include you a little better here. Um, on whose roster is Austin Hayes? Hughes? Everyone agrees, and that is correct. All right. That was the first one that's a little bit harder. Star, we're back to you. On whose roster is Nick Williams, outfielder for the Philadelphia Phillies? I believe that's – ooh, I, I was just take a, just take a second here. I believe that's still the fish fry, Jeff Jorby's squad. Unless he traded him, I don't remember. Anybody, anybody disagree? Fish fry. All right, the fish fry is correct. And Sean gave me the, the old shrug on that one. So, Sean, we're not giving you any points on that. Um, all right, Ian, you're up with Brewstar Gratterall. Uh, Gratterall is on – hold on, I know this. I feel like he's in the union. That's all I've got here. He is on. Oh my God. He, he is on Hughes's team. No. I disagree. I, I, I know it's what Peterson. It's Peterson. It's Peterson. Yeah, it's, it's Peterson. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. We're not giving you that point, Ian. You, That's you know. fine. But I, I figured it out after I remembered who it was. All right. Peterson and I engaged in some light trade negotiations. I remember him being on Peterson. <laughs> Damn it. John, you are on for which team is Jonathan India on? And you have to give a big pause because I'm pretty sure you know this one. I should know this because I traded him to uh, not Becker. Yeah, Becker. Yeah. Anyone? All right. And we're getting thumbs up. That's points for everybody. Star is yet to mess up here. It's going to get a little tougher here on this one. Matt, Garrett Mitchell. that is the Ichiros. Does anyone disagree? We're getting thumbs up from Ian. Sean, you agreed? Yep, that is the Ichiros. Congratulations. Uh, I got two more to go. Um, and then we're going to go to the next set of questions, not in the current double-A uh, draft. So uh, whose team, uh, Ian, is Monty Harrison on? Yours. Correct. Gotta, we got to involve us a little bit in here. Um, and Sean, uh, I'm going to give you the first one of the next round, uh, but I, I'm, I'm saving one from this round for a wild card later. Who drafted Nick Castellanos this year? This is for me, Chris. I, I have no idea. Star? But I, I, don't, I don't think anyone drafted Nick Castellanos this year. He's, he's been in Paul and Paul's team for, you know, He's an S4. Okay, that was a trick, quick, Chris. Uh, I was uh, like, what the heck? All right, Paul. Uh, so Castellanos is on Paul's team. That is correct. All right. Um, 
So let's go with Star on this one. Who drafted Zach Grinky? I believe that is the Poyos, Anton. This is disgusting. Huh? On an RFA match. Yeah, at 30 million, I think. No, a little bit more. I'm really enjoying just how much you guys know this stuff. I think it's either 34 or 37. All right. Uh, let's go with uh, Ian. Who drafted Carlos Santana this year? Brophy for 17 or 12 million. 17 million, I think. 17, yeah. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. All right. Sean, who drafted Nolan Arenado? Uh, I, I really don't know. I, I feel like I wouldn't have get this even on an even playing field, but like the data entry definitely helps these guys. I know it. Absolutely. And you want, you, you want, you, I know who it was. You know? Mark. It was Mark. All right. I went with the stars. I felt like it would have been really unfair if I went with like the 500 K guys on the, who was just drafted. So I stayed away from that. All right. We got three questions left. I'm starting with, uh, with Matt on this one. Matt, who won the 2014 championship in LDB? Oh, that's such a Matt question. 2014. Okay, let's see. Yeah. I don't know that I know. I think I know it. Bad at like who won what year here. Can I? I think I. I mean, uh, is it Brophy? That is incorrect. I'm going to go with Dubner. That is incorrect. Damn it's it. Star. It's not it? Star. It was no. Anton. Anton won in 2014. Oh, breaking no, I, my heart. Absolutely breaking my heart. All right. I, had I, a, I, I was I counting backwards. 19 was Dubner. Hold it. Stop. Stop. Questions are coming. You're okay, sorry. Away. All right. Ian, you are up on the next one. Who won the 2011 championship? Okay. I won in 2010. Um... And I think Bro Star won in eight and nine. So I think that was Brophy's first championship. That is incorrect. Matt for the steal and for the and for the win on this activity. Oh my god! I I should know this because I lost in the championship game. <laughs> and who did I lose to? God. But did I lose in the championship? Maybe I, man, 2011, was that Nate? Or sorry, Nat? That is Nat and Josh. That is correct. Yes. <laughs> right. I, I could have guessed that. I thought that they won the, the year after. I, I believe they beat me in the championship game in 2011. All right. And the last one, the last question is who won in 2018? Well, flags fly forever for the danger mice. There you go. Uh, I thought that would be a little fun. It turns out that you both have an absolutely ridiculous amount of knowledge about LDB without even any prep work at all on this activity coming. So that was that was pretty impressive. I can't believe I fucked up that great or all question. <laughs> hey, what was the bonus? What was the bonus question? Yeah. Actually, the bonus question, I'm just going to tell you, that was, that was me being a bad host. I actually was about to ask Sean uh, one on his own team. I was going to do James Caprellian, which I thought was going to be a really tough one. But if I asked Sean that, it would have been. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I think I would have gotten Sean, but I don't know that I, I would have. I'm not a hundred. I wouldn't have been a hundred percent confident on that. I had to abort that I'll one. I'll forgive you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was fun, guys. 
Yeah, it was fun. And you guys, you, you both do it uh, a great job with this. Matt, you are the current uh, who knows LDB better champion, but Ian, no. you know, you're on your way. He's always going to know years better than me. But, uh, <laughs> the draft board, I probably know as a whole better than him. Fair He's enough. Uh, Sean, I'm going to hand the reins over to you because I think you're going you're gonna to put Ian downwind. All righty. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Ian, for joining us. Matt, as always, Becker will be with us soon. Um, I should begin by saying this segment was supposed, this week's segment of Down With The Wind, Downwind With The Wind, sorry, was supposed to be sponsored by Sure, makers of fine audio products. But as you heard at the beginning, I had a little bit of a feedback issue. So I want to apologize to everyone, but particularly to Jeff Peterson. Um, I know Jeff is an audiophile. I've, uh, I've stalked his Spotify for many years and know he, he really takes this stuff seriously. So I apologize for not having my act together today. I'm hoping my MacBook Air audio microphone, all that sounds okay. But I do welcome feedback after the show from any listeners on the ways I can improve. Anyway, with that preamble, here we go with the legendary Ian Marcus Melkin has been doing these power rankings for many years now. I know um, Mr. Hughes is, has ranked his rankings and uh, you know it seems like Ian does a pretty good job based on uh, the, um, the R coefficient and the explanatory power of the, uh, the regression that Ryan's running. Um, but, you know, let's, let's just begin Ian with a little bit more on your process. Like, how does this work? I, I know you do a lot of reading and research, but it feels like you also have a lot of instincts that work here. So tell us what, tell us what your secret sauce is. Yes. So that's true. I, I don't use any projections. <laughs> I never enter any players into projections. Uh, the way I prep for LDB is by um, mock drafting. I fill the the um, the board a bunch of times between the start and the um, and the auction, and I kind of get a sense of what players should cost by filling out um, you know at least the first few hundred players. And by the time of the auction, I generally have a sense of what I think guys should go for. But at the same time, in that process, I get a sense of team strengths and weaknesses. And if I was in their position what I would spend my money on. So um, by the time I get into the power rankings, I have that knowledge, but I also have stars rotational rankings, which I uh, look at just to get a sense of his view of things. I don't ever like running afoul of him by too many uh, places. And uh, that's not to say that we don't disagree on a few different teams, which we do. But, um, you know, for me over time, what I, what I really value is remembering that there are 12 points a week you can get and you could only get six for hitters and six for pitchers. And especially in the preseason rankings where people haven't, you know, fired too many of their future bullets, I have to take the teams as they are on that day. And I think about balance um, as well as the challenges that you're going to face depending upon what, what division you're in. And if, teams in that division are not taking the season as seriously as future seasons. Do you feel it's harder for you to get a sense for pitching versus hitting? I know star in the past has talked about, you know, relying a lot on projections for hitters and then using a little bit more touch and feel what's an analyst rankings to come up with the pitching side of it. But what, what do you think is harder? You know, the, there's a reason why we spend so much money on aces and um, I think that the reason is that, oh, our fire alarm is going off. <laughs> Just let me make sure everything's okay. Yeah. 
Hold on one second. Yeah, maybe check on the eight month old. The wife, maybe. I don't know. Well, you have a break here. <laughs> I have to say that was that was quite a curveball we were just thrown. I think you know Sean set the fire alarm off with his downwind <laughs> segment. Uh, that hot, everybody. Um, so <laughs> we're gonna have to we're gonna have to swing to a different concept, but. Matt, I mean, I, I'll put you on the spot just because I hearing Ian talk about it, it seems like he's a little more gut and you're a little more stats driven and projections driven. Is that is that fair? I think it's probably true. Uh, like, like Sean said, I, I think particularly when it comes to the offense, um, I, I rely pretty, pretty heavily on projections there. Um, Everything's fine. Great. Sorry. So um, did you were you in the middle of an answer or should I keep going? I think we can turn it back over to you. We, I was, we were just finding out that Matt's a little more projections driven than you are. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. But do you need a reminder where you were before the fire? No, I remember. I mean, also, you know, Matt's more successful, <laughs> you know, at least for his personal team at this point. Um, so, yeah. So, I, you know, there's a reason why we spend a lot of money on aces. And I think that uh, reliable top end pitching is hard to come by. So it's, it's, it's helpful to get a sense of what I do is I do a chart of like basically a rotation for all the teams and I put them where I would put them on my roster. So let's say you don't have a one, I have a blank there. And then if you have like, let's say, I don't know who's a, who would be like a great two, you know, Matt thinks Corbin Burns is a great two. So he puts Corbin Burns in his second spot and then Tyler Mayhill in his third spot. And I just kind of fill it in as the auction goes on seeing how you guys fill out your, your starters. And then in terms of relievers, I, you know, I think like a few teams this year have gone the route that Chris and I have done many times, which is like the elite pen route. And I think you get a bump for that. I'm interested to see how it shakes out. But my view is that elite relievers are not as valuable in our new playoff format. Um, I always thought that like the best relievers more important for K9. Uh, like like haters value, I think is not as valuable now that I can throw as many, I could I can get strikeouts through churning guys if I need to during the playoffs. Whereas before when I only was allowed to have two relievers, I believe that having at least one rock steady reliever going into the season was important because in the past you used to have to spend a third round pick or a second round pick sometimes to get like Chapman at the deadline from the team that's not going to make it. But in terms of the power rankings, I still give them a bump if you have elite relief, especially this year when everyone's talking about there being an issue with uh, starting pitchers, A, getting injured or B, going deep into games. Because to get innings, if you have a deep and reliable pen, you're going to be at an advantage this year. So maybe one last question, and then we can dive into our own reactions to the, the rankings. But you mentioned at one point, thinking about the path to the playoffs for each team, right? You're not just doing the fundamentals. These are the top five teams. You, these are the teams you think are most likely to win the championship. And I wonder with that, just seeing, you know, the number of teams in federal, if you don't really think that there could be a little bit of a challenge, even for some of those really, you know, top five teams, the teams like Chris, who has a tough fight to get to that division title how do you think about that well i think going into the going into the auction i i probably would have discounted those teams a bit i just i'm a bit concerned and we can talk about this more about how some of the contenders in the union drafted as compared to 
how um, folks did in the federal. I think that uh, Ryan and Nate uh, both have going in what seemed to me like strong chances of the playoffs. And I think that Ryan hurt himself a bit during the auction. And, you know, Nate had like an all time great auction two years ago. So I'm not, I'm not interested in doubting the decision, some of the decisions he made, but I, I, I do think that he made some choices that hurt him. And then, you know, Becker's decision not to spend any money on starting pitching, um, I think hurts him considerably, but even more so for Dubner. Like we could get into Dubner a bit, which, you know, might've been a controversial ranking putting him so low, but I, I don't know if he's going to make innings, you know, without adding pitchers. Like it's that serious um, in terms of starters at the moment. So to answer your question, Yes, the federal is going to be tougher to make the playoffs, but like they're still better than the union teams. Gauntlet has been thrown. Union, show up. We used to be really great for a number of years. We used to be the premier league. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had a chip on my shoulder. I was like, God, Ian, Matt, always crapping on federal. But... Well, for like six or seven years, Matt and I made the playoffs every year, and Dubner made the playoffs almost every year. Like we were just like, perennial powerhouses then i forgot like how to win but you know eventually i'll figure it out again <laughs> that's a funny funny take on that i i actually i've noticed that there's one fundamental difference between the leagues that i think federal has finally caught up because the the long-term approach versus the burn it down approach there are more teams in union that are willing when they see their chance to just completely go all in Star, I think you do that. Ian, you do that. I think Dubner, to an extent, does that. Jeff clearly did that. Um, whereas in federal, you know, Brophy never trades his best prospects. Uh, Jorvi never trades his best prospects. Um, I think uh, Peterson almost never trades his best prospects. He'll trade one if it's like a really good opportunity. I think Peterson and I are similar. Like I, I, I pick my guys and then I, I'm very reticent to give them up i'll give up a top 25 guy if i don't think that his path is as clear or he's further away uh as i did with bobby witt but i just think if we if we compare the leagues and our strategies i do think federal is more long-term approach um we also have mark i didn't even bring him up yet um so like you know i i think that that actually has a lot to do with it and right now we're just seeing the cresting of the the farm systems in federal yeah uh, i mean i mean but so to be fair though paul did do that to an extent in 2019 and almost won himself a championship without doing like an all-in play but like a kind of half all-in type move he didn't lose he didn't give up Urias or Cease but he did trade up prospects and you know he made it to the finals I think you got to be willing to trade some guys I think it's just um they, you know, Matt, Matt, you, you'll, you're willing to trade anybody, right? Like, I think like if you have the number one guy in the minors and he's two years away and you can win now, you're going to do that. And I think that's something we don't see with the federal teams quite in the same way. Yeah. I'll trade anyone if they're not like currently in the major leagues, basically. Yeah. Um, Sean, are you, are you good? Can we transition on to, yeah. All right. So let's, let's do a little bit of a deeper dive. Um, Ian, you put yourself out there with, with the write-ups, which by the way, were fantastic as always. Uh, I, I can see that you're, uh, you're legally trained in how quickly you, you, uh, churn these things out. Um, why don't I start with you, Matt? Uh, did you have a disagreement, uh, with Ian on any particular team 
uh, being too high or too low? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of uh, said this already. I mean, I, I think I think Ian was a little low on Dubner, uh, even though I think that is a flawed team. Um, I think the offense is is so good um, that maybe it was Ian like not. It's probably the best offense in the league, and I think that uh, that that does go a long way. I think the pitching is is really a question though, and I think there's a there's a lot of risk. I think if the pitching doesn't come back around, I think if Carrasco and um, um, Framber Valdez don't, you know, pitch significant innings before the end of June, Dubner is in big trouble. But um, I think the offense is so good and the pitching could be, you know, okay by halfway through the season that he could be fine. Um, and kind of, you know, because of who he ranked ahead of him, I thought Ian was a little high on Peterson. I think that team is, you know, it's got some some players, like some young guys coming up. I think it could outperform its projections, but the offensive projections on that team are pretty bad. Um, you know, especially if he doesn't bring up Bo Bichette. Uh, it's, it's probably the worst offense in the league that is not, you know, Ian or Mark. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that, that's a problem. And I think the pitching is not good enough to, you know, the pitching is okay. Uh, and so I think that that was the other, the other big disagreement. Sean, how about you? I, I would agree. Um, I think the, you know, any, my approach tends to be to focus on balance. So I think that's just my natural tendency to like try to do both pitching and hitting. And that, that, that's really, I think pretty successful in Roto. It's sometimes not very successful in head to head, but I just would take that kind of broader lesson on my side and say, okay, if, if Dubner's offense is that strong and just knowing that he's a savvy owner, can make some pickups middle of the year. I mean, who knows, maybe he's got a hybrid relief pitcher strategy that he's thinking about. I, I don't see it necessarily right now in his roster, but that could be adjusted midseason. Um, that I would, I would say, you know, keep an open mind on, on that one. Um, but that's also just the challenge of power ranking. Someone's got to be somewhere. I, I imagine for you all, it's easier the last few years when you have some teams that are clearly rebuilding to say, okay, well, we know they're not even competing. I'm not going to offend anyone here when I put them at number 13 or number 12. I think I remember being number 13 on Ian's two years in a row and it hurt. But uh, I made the playoffs both years. So, you know, for, for everyone out there listening, feeling a little sad, just just remember and and use these to motivate your team, you know, motivate yourself, motivate your management. Just get after it. Uh, Josh, just I, I will say Sean, you're, you you have pretty historically done a pretty impressive job on outperforming your preseason projections, whether it's having guys who just, you know, uh, do better than what they're projected to do or if it's midseason pickups or, or what exactly. Your team never looks as good to me at the beginning of the season as it ends up looking at the end of the season. Well, I appreciate that. That that uh, you know, I could that could be luck. We'll we'll see. I definitely uh, I love the midseason pickups. I mean, that's one of the best things about LDB. I, I I won't say who I've been refreshing so many times on Twitter to see a position battle right now, but I mean, this stuff is exciting. And then I'm like. I'm like realizing like how many people in the universe right now are looking up these players and like what, like I, I'm like getting translations of Spanish tweets to like get extra info now. And like, I don't know, it's, <laughs> it's just wild the level of detail that we go into at this point in this league. Yeah, I've spent a lot of the 4.30 feeds reading about uh, uh, Ahmed Rosario's uh, progress in center field for the Cleveland Indians. <laughs> Cleveland baseball team, excuse me. It is really crazy. Like how, like we probably get overly focused on like one guy every season as well. 
I think we're all probably guilty of this. Ian, I want to turn it back over to you in a second, but I'm just going to throw my own two cents in real quick too. I think the, the rotation that you were hardest on that I disagree with you on is Brophy's. Um, you called it a very risky staff. Uh, and I, I think his, like when it comes to injury, I can understand it. Um, but I also think the way that Brophy put this together with Kershaw and, uh, and you Darvish at the top, I really love that one too. Um, and I, they were both healthy last year. So I'm going to assume healthy now. Uh, and then I just think the depth of, you know, behind those guys, he's got, um, he's got good risk guys, uh, in, in Tyone coming back, but he's got Berrios and Savali. I mean, I, I like that staff better than you do. Um, I think that if that staff is, uh, is what I think it's going to be, I would elevate him probably into the top seven. Um, and I know we're, we're splitting hairs here, but I don't see that as quite the risk that you do because all those guys are currently healthy and the injuries are at least uh, 18 months in the, in the rearview mirror. Um, I will say Kershaw is probably the exception to what I just said because his back, you know, when you have a bad back, I, I've thrown my back a number of times. You just never know when that's going to happen. And I think with Dodgeritis, you just expect that he's going to miss, I'm going to call it four weeks at some point this season. But I have no reason to believe that he's going to miss more than that. And I don't think that that makes him any different than most of the other stud pitchers that we draft. Ian, you want to respond? Can I just say real quick on Kershaw? Um, for, all, for all the talk about him missing games and, and innings, I mean, I don't have his numbers pulled up, but like, I mean, Kershaw is consistently throwing like 170 every year. You know, yeah. And all of this. Like, it's not like he's. You know he's he's pitching 120, 130. This is 170 every year. He's he's not he's never missed like significant time despite all of the injuries or just one injury. Matt, what's going on with your audio here, dude? I think he's also gone to drive line this last year or two, and he's added real velocity to his fastball, which is kind of incredible because his fastball, you know, it from a spin perspective, it's great. Um, from a velocity perspective, not so much. But if you can add one to two miles per hour to your fastball, that's pretty cool. At his age. I, 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 so just to respond to it, that's right, that Kershaw has not like missed whole chunks of seasons, but, you know, both of these guys are 30, going to be 34 years old this year. Um, they both have a lot of mileage on them. I just think that if I had one younger, safer guy with one of them, I'd feel more comfortable than both of them. But at the same time, I'm not, uh, you know, the, the, the rankings didn't say, Oh, I don't like his, his pitching. Cause I do like, I, I, I would be happy if that was my rotation. I'm just taking into account kind of their Brophy's depth and like actually his starters this year on offense are just not as good as he's done in the past. And he's banking on, so many guys to work out that he normally doesn't have to bank on. I, I just knocked him a little bit more than um, I have in the past. Yeah. And I will also say that I think, you know, if I'm going to call people out and, and say, I, I didn't love their draft. Uh, Mark and Brophy are, are the, ch the top two at my list just for leaving so much cash on the table. I think they were both expected. We were all going to come around and, and want to sell picks or something. And it just didn't happen. Um, and so both those teams have a ton of money. I mean, Brophy's team would look a lot different if he'd spent even 15 of that 22 or whatever he's got left, um, upgrading, you know, call it Jake Cronenworth, who I'm, I'm a big fan of, but if he got instead Moustakis, who Sean took like, and that would just feel a lot safer. 
Um, I think he's like one star away from us, like not really feeling bad about that draft. I mean, here, here's the thing, you know, the third base was the most, most fertile ground in the auction. If you needed to improve in a particular place, right. You had Muncy, uh, Suarez, Arenado, Bryant, who, you know, I viewed as risky, um, all available. And he didn't want to spend like, Arenado was only 32. I understand that he's moving from Coors to St. Louis and he has maybe some injury problems, but 32 is a completely fair price for Nolan Arenado. And I think I'd rather spend that than 14 on Urshela as my everyday third baseman when Urshela might be better suited for like the U2 spot. Yeah. What'd you guys think of Anton's draft out of curiosity? Um, I know, and you talked about this one a bunch. He obviously had pitching pretty, pretty settled. Um, Star and Sean, do you guys have any, any chance to look at this? I know he, uh, of the contenders, I thought that he had the most interesting um, thing to do. And I think he did a decent job, but I, I wouldn't give him an A plus or anything. Uh, when it comes to the hitters, he got Rizzo. Rizzo is like his favorite player. I'm pretty sure he gets Rizzo every year. So I didn't take a quick look at this uh, beforehand. Uh, I just took a quick glance. I mean, I, I like Christian Javier. Like he was on my sleeper list. I wouldn't pay 16 million for him personally, but that just is something that happened in this draft. Like TJ to however you pronounce it, Antone. I, I thought he went for more than, than he probably should have. I mean, he, that, that could work out. I just think we, we spent a little bit more on some of these upside arms than I would have guessed, but there's that extra, whatever, almost, 160 million, 120 million, whatever it was in the auction. Um, you know, I like Zach Greinke. Um, gosh, I mean, that guy's going to, he's aging so gracefully as I think a lot of the analysts predicted when he signed that contract. I'm not sure I would have spent 37, but again, in this auction, you know, sure. Um, yeah. I don't really have any other quick reaction there. Yeah. I, I'd agree just real quick. I mean, I, I think Anton made fine choices. I think he maybe over paid for a few guys, but like they're, they're all like fine players. And Javier at 16 is maybe the biggest gamble, but um, you know, great. Well, you, you probably think that Maryfield 27 is the biggest gamble, right? Cause you're low on Maryfield. So yeah, though, I, I mean, the way, the way the auction went, um, you know, it's, it, it's a fine price in the end. Um, so maybe I'll turn the tables on this. Over, yeah, I don't know that he's going to get $68 worth of production out of Granky and Rizzo, but He'll at least get, you know, he got the safety of getting like 40 to 50 for sure. And that's not the worst thing to do. I mean, I, I think that Anton made a decision, made decisions that is going to force his hand on promotions, uh, maybe in a way that he didn't want to. I mean, the great thing about Merrifield and, and Biggio is that they have really flexible position eligibility. Uh, Biggio at second and third right field, Merrifield at second center and right. So he can move guys around, but you know, he has no depth, his, his bench, you know, of Jake Bowers, Miguel Cabrera, Andahar, or, and I guess you could say Mikhail Franco are all basically waiver wire guys. Like none of those guys are going to make an impact on their LDB season. So he needs to promote Lewis Robert from day one. And then if uh, you could, if Seager is in a clear decline you promote Hayes and hope that he's, he, he, he does well. Right. And maybe he wanted to wait till mid season for Hayes, but given he has really no offensive depth, I think he's pushed himself a little bit into a corner. 
I think he's. I think he put himself in a position where he. I think it's Robert. I think that's something that it is Robert and not yeah. and Robert. Which I, I, I didn't realize this. I just saw this for the first time. But I think he put himself in a position where he kind of has to bring at least uh, Luis Robert up uh, and Hayes. You know, maybe at the midseason. Like you're, yeah. he didn't give himself the offensive depth that he probably needs. And yeah, he's he's in a weird position on those some of those homegrowns and that like those guys, Bowers and and Andrew Har probably could have been non-tendered, and I don't think anyone would have batted an eye there. Yeah, I especially Andahar. I mean, he, he just seems lost since he's come back from his injury. So real quick on 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 Merrifield, I I might be the low man on Merrifield out of all of us. Actually, I don't know. Were, were you referring to Star being somebody who didn't? Yeah, Star hates what Merrifield. <laughs> I I just think the analysts are down on him. Like at some point, Merrifield's going to stop stealing bases, and then he's just a guy, right? And I keep waiting for that to happen, but that's not a risk I want. Um, and uh, and here's the other thing, like. Matheny, when he was the manager of St. Louis, was, I think, the, the among the most you can't uh, have the green light managers in baseball. Last year, he seemed to loosen the reins because I don't think that the Royals had much to lose by, by going for it. But I think they have a better team this year. And I think he's probably going to reverse course. That's just my prediction. I'm, I'm curious to see if that ends up being the case. Um, and if that is the case, I think Merrifield will probably be one of the first people who will stop stealing bases that um, otherwise might have been set free. Go ahead, Star. And yeah, I, I think that's my fear. Whit Merrifield is 32. Like he has not been around that long, but he's 32. And like counting on a 32-year-old guy to steal you 30 bases is is does not feel like a promising bet. I feel, and I I feel like the bottom is going to fall out on him sometime and i wouldn't i just don't want to spend 30 million to be left holding the bag there i guess is really what it comes down to with them he's been fine the production has been fine so far and you know i just it just seems like it's gonna fall off and i don't know when it's gonna happen and it seems like it could be this year but so i i want to make sure and i'm sorry for interrupting you matt but I'm, i'm also looking at the clock and i'm trying to make sure that we give a little bit of light onto each one of the main contenders I'm kind of neglecting some of the lower teams that none of us think are going to make the playoffs, but I do have a question coming up that will bring them back up. Ian, I'm putting you back on the spot though. At the beginning of your talking about ranking, you, you said that you didn't love what Ryan did. Can you go into a little bit more depth on why? Um, Cause I think we we've heard that sort of in the, in the meta, but if we can get a little more granular on, on why you think this was a mess draft. Yeah. I mean, I think really it comes down to, one, two, two decisions that when combined with other decisions makes it a poor draft, which is $24 million on James Paxton and $21 million on Tommy Pham. So $45 million going to those two players, which I think both were overpays. Uh, Paxton, you know, it, 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 he's never lived up to the price yet. Maybe this will be the season and it'll be a great keeper. Like Castillo ended up being a great keeper for him, but I mean, you saw that was the biggest overpay of the silent. And I think he could have really used that money elsewhere, especially on offense, um, because now he's got a bunch of scrubs filling in the offensive spot. So I think if you're going to spend $33 million on, on Hoskins, which is fine, I, I, you know, I don't like it as much as, you know, star spending $26 million on Goldschmidt. Um I, I think you have to be careful about where the rest of your big dollars were going. And 
he didn't need Kevin Gaussman at $30 million, which is paying for a breakout that is kind of happened, but hasn't really happened yet. So you're paying a bit above market value for Kevin Gaussman. You're paying above market value for Paxton and you're paying $21 million for Tommy Pham who sucked last year and then got stabbed during the off season. So I, I, I was higher on his team preseason. I love the, the, the triple head, you know, the triumvirate of Nola Castillo and freed. I think that that's going to be elite. I just think that given those three, he shouldn't have spent $54 million on Gaussman and Paxton while also spending $21 million on fam. It's not to say he, I didn't like some of the choices he made. I think it was wise of him to trade for court for Correa with me. I think that $18 million for Carlos Correa um, is, is a good price. Um, and I think that he did okay. You know, he, he, he shored up the depth of his pitching. His, his relievers are all just guys. So in general, I don't think Ryan helped himself in the auction. And I, I'll just say real quick. Yeah. I mean, I don't think like any of with the exception of Paxton, which was, was an overpay, like none of the individual decisions really bother me. I mean, Tommy Pham at that price is fine. It's more that he spent all his money on those guys and then had no money to fill out the rest of his roster. And he just like, you know, has just a bunch of garbage. And then now it's like injured garbage at like second base and center field and the bullpen and like the bench. And he's just like, has all these, like he just has a bunch of holes that are not impossible to fill, but he, he left himself. If he had had like, Five million for each of those, you know, a couple of those spots would have been be in much better shape than he is now. But he has like below replacement level guys in several spots. And this is so Nola's walk year. So if if I was in that position, and I've, you know, you guys know I'm happy to spend like a drunken sailor at the start of the auction. I'm selling picks to to make the team competitive. Like if he had twenty million dollars for the second half of the auction, that would have made all the difference. I, th- I think I agree with all that assessment. I, I would say, I remember a couple of years ago, Ryan, he kind of, uh, he did a, a combo with, I believe it was Chris Archer and then Luis Castillo. So I think he avoided, he didn't want to spend a lot on an ace. So he decided to break it up into two rising SP2s. Maybe that's what he was trying to do here with Gaussman and Paxton. It's just, I, I like Gaussman. As you know, Anton and I tried to do a trade that really, at, at the end of the day, you know, well, it, did, it wasn't legal. We, we misinterpreted the rule change. Um, but um, I think, I think Gaussman could very well be worth that. Maybe it's a little bit much, but uh, Paxton, yeah, he, he just worries me. And of course the silent auction reinforces that it's uh, a little bit much, but uh, I think the, the real keyword that the Ryan's team is going to take away here is injured garbage. Like that's the focus from stars analysis that you should be playing on the loudspeaker in the cornball or locker room all season that is your rallying cry i i i I hate to call a guy on the nationals garbage but yeah i mean you know starlin castro is injured and not good and harrison bader is injured and not good and those were his starting second base and center fielders and it's not a great situation there i think of i think of ryan right now as my sister team in in ldb a little bit in that like we have probably the two teams that were contenders going in that have the scariest april up ahead right um, I just lost uh, Eloy Jimenez, um, who I luckily had not promoted yet. So at least I keep the, the years that I'll have him. But 
Um, a lot of my stories, I need them to sort of stabilize and I'm worried about that first month of the year. And so many of the risks um, that I took just don't look great I'll, right now. I'll um, tell you what, Chris, I think yeah. you're lucky that you did not win Chris Sale or Noah Syndergaard because I, I think it makes sense for Ian's team, but I was worried that you were going to take one of those guys and just spend too much 2021 money on a guy that was unlikely to contribute this year, given the quality of your team. Well, so, what it ended up meaning, I, I really think, like just in terms of the planning that I had done was that I was able to afford Kluber instead, which like, you know, I, I'm, I'm high on Kluber as my, uh, my predictions have, have said, but he has not looked great this spring. I mean, the scouts like him, but the game tape does not look great. And, I, his, um, and, and in terms of the velocity, it's still not there. So like, he's, he's scaring me a little bit. Um, and, you know, the other one that like, I, I sort of discounted what happened last year to JD Martinez. Um, but he's had an abysmal spring. Like his, I think his OPS right now is 500 um, and he's played most of the days and he was terrible last year too. So I, I don't know what's going on with JD Martinez, but I'm worried um, and I'm hopeful that he'll turn that around. Um, can, can I read something real quick on Corey Kluber from, from Lindsay Adler? I don't know if I want you to. <laughs> Corey Kluber's start today, Kluber unraveled in the third inning. Pitches going all over the place, walked two batters, hit another, allowed two singles and a sack fly before exiting. He said after his previous outing that something felt off. It doesn't appear to be fully ironed out. So that's where Corey Kluber is at right now. Well, save a little powder for uh, the bold predictions recap, because I know you had some specific ones around Kluber. But uh, yeah, I'm, we'll not, see I'm not ready to I'm not ready to burn that one down either. Like, that's I think he's right. like this is why, you know, this is some of the things that veterans do in spring training, especially a guy like Kluber who hasn't been out there for two years. Suck? Like really badly. <laughs> like you should try some things. Try some things. Let's. Right. I, I think it's a fine buy, Chris. I mean, I, I just want to say one thing about Ryan before we turn to the Dippas. If we're going to talk about the Dippas, which is that if Kim gets a starting role on San Diego, and if Hayes sticks in the Baltimore outfield, he could fix some of his problems that way. He could promote both of those guys. Yeah, I, I kind of imagine Austin Hayes is probably coming up for him just out of necessity at this point. I mean, Hayes is probably better than Bader to begin with. Yeah. I don't want to talk about my team anymore. So, like, I think let's let's save that. It's too it's it's actually depressing for this time of year. I I'm 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 sad. Um, but let's you and you and Sean have had some unfortunate uh, starts to like first weeks of like first post auction weeks of the season here. I think the only good news I've had <laughs> is that CJ Crone looks like a absolute monster and Josh Bell looks like getting out of Pittsburgh might save his career. So if those two things happen, it'll write the ship enough that I'll feel all right. But enough on the Dippas. I don't like talking about my team exclusively on this thing. So uh, maybe maybe we can uh, switch to the to the last question I've got on the power rankings, which is this. And Sean, I'm going to start with you on this one. Um, you can take this one in either of the two directions or both. A team that Ian projected to miss the playoffs that you are most intrigued by and you can tell yourself a story where you like their chances to make it or the reverse, a team that Ian has making the playoffs that you think, you know what, there's a story of the unraveling that you, you think that they could miss. So I will, uh, I'll give our co-host in absentia a little love here and say, um, you know, I, I don't know if I would bet on Becker making the playoffs with the pitching situation, but I really like that he's come into the, to the season with a theory of how pitching is gonna go. I'm not sure we all agree on how many <clears throat> innings you know, the top 50 starters are going to get, but um, you know, he, 
<clears throat> he didn't go after a lot of big names. He didn't have much money to on the pitching side in the auction, but I do think the offense is really strong. And I think there's, there are alternative pitching strategies that can work. I agree. Having one or two anchors is, is definitely advisable, but who knows? It, it's, it's such a wild West out there. And like, there's going to be a number of hybrid relievers that are going to just pop up out of nowhere too. I mean, that was part of my strategy in auction was to, to get a few guys that weren't even on any list because I just, maybe I had them last year and I just could tell from the news and notes that they were coming into a two to three inning role and they have good stuff. And they were, you know, on one of those pick to click uh, lists that Eric Loggenhagen and others put out there, like the guys that are not even 45 future value, but maybe there's a power reliever coming. So anyway, I think there's a lot of potential ammunition to work with there mid season. If you have some budget, Although now that I look, how much does, does Becker have? Um, he, yeah, he has 6.39. He has enough. Um, so, so yeah, that would be my pick. And then I would just say quickly uh, back to the previous segment. Uh, I called in the injury gods on my team when I was talking crap about Brophy's injury risk on his top two last week or two weeks ago or whatever it was, but I definitely did not expect Zach Gallon to have a forearm injury that wasn't Tommy John related and due to, to batting and not pitching. But, uh, I guess I'll hope for a, a May return. So, all right, uh, Star, you wanna you wanna take that one on? Yeah, I mean, this it, is gonna be a funny answer because I just I just like talk smack about his team, but I think the 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 answer for me is actually Peterson's team because like this is the kind of team that's very young, and like there's if, if there's a team that's gonna just come out of nowhere and outperform its projections, it's probably that team. He seems. I mean, I'll say, because it's contingent on, on the whole Bo Bichette thing, which, you know, I think we, we've is, is been slightly controversial, I guess, whether or not Bo Bichette should come up. But, like, you know, if Adley Rushman comes up and hits, if Mackenzie Gore uh, gets into that rotation and, and looks nasty, like, there, there's, there's some ways that the projections didn't capital, that the projections didn't capture for that team to suddenly kind of take the next step there that I don't know if other teams necessarily have the ability to. Before I turn it over to Ian, that was my answer too. I think if, if Peterson can be in contention at the trade deadline, he can promote some of these guys and and just the team could take off and be one of the better teams in the second half. So I'll, I'll say also, I, I think Dylan Dylan Carlson looks like he look, looks really good this spring. And I think, you know, his time may be here as well. But Peterson needs to get him up. Like he can't win. He cannot win if he keeps these guys down. Like that's not an option for him. He needs to promote everyone, unfortunately. So it's a question of, do you promote them now for a chance or do you kind of hold on and wait till next year, I guess. So the flip side answer, Chris, to me is I think one of you or the Poyos are, are going to miss the playoffs because I think uh, California winter has some strong teams. I think it's quite possible we get one of the wild cards and uh, you guys are going to beat each other up. And look, like Mark has, you know, he's still in, in permanent rebuilding mode, but he always puts together interesting teams with not many dollars. So who knows? Like, I'm not saying he's going to make the playoffs, but like, it's not like he's going to be a cakewalk necessarily. So I think one of you guys may be disappointed despite having a really good team. It's possible. I, I also just, for, for what it's worth on managerial styles and skills, um, Mark is sneakily one of the better ones. Um, I don't think people think of that. Like when I play Mark, I worry that he's paying attention to the stats in a different kind of way um, where he, he will totally punch two or three categories to win two or three categories, which makes it hard to run up the score against him. Uh, whereas, you know, you can get the, the bigger wins uh, against other teams. That's not always true. 
It's not always true, but I think Mark is pretty good about protecting a lead um, in categories at, at times. So um, anyway, Ian, I'm going to turn it back to you. We've, we've only got a couple minutes left here, but which sure. team do you fear? Do you fear you have the most wrong? Well, right now, I don't think I have anybody wrong, but I'll, to answer your question, I think um, the teams that I think on the bottom that I wouldn't be surprised at all if they made the playoffs are the choice, the cornballers, or the works. I think all three of those can make it without anything shocking happening. In terms of uh, teams who I currently have in that I could see falling out, I think that Paul could easily fall out. I have him in the eighth spot. I think if, if, if the powers don't start out, in the first seven or eight weeks, clearly on pace to win a division. I could see Star um, selling his walkier guys and um, and not doing a full rebuild, but maybe selling Cole and getting some value if he doesn't feel like he's got a good shot at winning the league. But I will make a bold prediction to close it out, which is that I actually think that the box have a chance to make the playoffs. And uh, I'm going to say that if I'm making a bold prediction on the bottom, it's that my team has incredible starting pitcher depth. I'm about to promote a bunch of young, a bunch of young homegrowns on offense and things might be able to click at the same time. I'm the only one that's openly selling besides Ray at this point. So if they do click and I can get value for 2022 and beyond, I'll probably sell. So it's not going to be likely that I'm going to end up in a wild card, but I'm kind of excited about my team. For our listeners, I just want to make clear that we all can see each other. And I want you all to know that there is no substance that Ian is smoking or drinking at this time. Nope, none. Um, <laughs> so, um, anyway, uh, now I, I appreciate that. And you know what? That's actually what makes LDB so great. I, I think is that like, even when you're having a down year, like it's, it's fun to bring it, right? Like you got to tell yourself the story. You got to get in it. And uh, I think some of the best, the best, uh, championship runs have been from teams that just no one saw coming. Well, it's so. funny. Like, you know, you just love your players before they start playing. Like Dubner and I are negotiating like a two for one trade for like a reliever, nothing at all interesting. But I'm like, what if this is the year that Tim LaCastro steals 60 bases and I trade him preseason for, no for, for nothing. Let's just wait. <laughs> You're going to see a week, you see like a week of Tim LaCastro. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, he's always had good OBP skills in the minors. <laughs> Maybe he'll stay. I, I, I think that I might be among the very most guilty of overrating my own players because of the stories that I tell myself of them. But the one guy I'm confident of who is worse at that than me is Jeff Dubner. <laughs> so <laughs> that's worth it. Uh, uh, yeah. Can, I just, I just like to, on that note, Jeff Dubner was really trying to sell me on like Logan Webb being like this big time breakout. And I was like, I mean, yeah, like he's got a good pitch, but the guy's like never been able to throw a strike. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> um, I know we're at our time here, guys. Uh, and this has been really fun. Um, is there any, anybody want to throw a last thought in there before we let Ian go because uh, Ian, we, we're, we're going to miss you on this cast. Well, you're obviously welcome anytime you want to show up. It is your baby that we've just adopted from you. Uh, honestly, I'm just loving listening to you guys. And uh, I just want to say to the league, uh, thanks for an amazing auction. It seemed like everybody was really well prepped and had fun. And I'm just so excited for week one. 
final word from the win is just to get some bold predictions in. If you haven't done that, I know how I haven't, but uh, I was going to do that before opening day. So if you want to get them in by opening day or the weekend, uh, we will record most likely next Sunday. So put, put them down. If it's one, if it's four, if it's 10, definitely you want to see them. Yeah. And before we hang up this call, Matt, your, your bold predictions weren't that bold, my friend. Uh, I, I'm going to ask you to up the ante on, on hey, this. Hey, but save the analysis of the boldness. I like the call to arms. He's got six more to go, but yeah. 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 Uh, any last thoughts from you, Matt? I think I one more, but I, I, I'll make, I'll make the last, the last five a little bolder. Sounds good. All right, guys. I think that'll do it. Um, and we will talk to you all next week. All right. Enjoy opening day, everybody. See everybody. Thank mm-hmm. you.